Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I spent a good chunk of the 2000s going out dancing, very late. And I cannot imagine the club or the summer without Sean Paul. His songs would come on, we would lose our minds. I think you're going to recognize a bunch of them, like Give Me the Light and Get Busy, huge hits. Sean Paul will tell you about some of his early days and getting turned down by labels even when he was packing the clubs. Plus the moment he knew he was bringing Jamaican music to the mainstream in a new way. And Shane Cunningham was pretty sure if he gave the scripts for his sketch show to an executive, nobody would say go for it. Absolutely not. The humor was very bold, very out there, so he shot a pilot to prove that this could work. Shane will tell you about making the sketch show he has always wanted to make and the inspiration he drew from Kids in the Hall. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Cute. Shake that thing, miss. Can I, can I shake that thing, miss? Hannah better shake that thing, yeah. Donna, Donna, Jordi and Rebecca. Woman, get busy. Just shake that booty non-stop when the beat drop. Just keep swinging it, get jiggy. Let's get busy by Sean Paul, multi-platinum musician Sean Paul. If you set foot in any club or any party happening about 20 years ago, you know how big of a deal that song was. And so many of Sean Paul's hits were really big deals back then, and they are to this day. Smash hits like Get Busy, like Give Me the Light, like Temperature that helped to propel dancehall into the fore and make it a globally influential style of music. Sean Paul's record, Dirty Rock, recently turned 20. That's the one that made him a household name. He picked up a Grammy for it, too. Tom Power spoke to Sean Paul recently, and they took a bit of a, a musical journey, a tour, if you will, from his early rise and ascent as one of the biggest dance hall acts around to his 2022 release, Scorcha. They also dug into the Canadian connections to his story. So here's the first part of their conversation. Hi, where are you? Yo, what's up, man? Thank you, Tom. Thanks for the time, bro. We, we have a lot to cover with you. We don't have a whole lot of time. I thought we'd take a look through some of your musical journey, starting with this. Huh, Jigga. Dirty. With the port, the one them, I couldn't stand up in a court. Yo, the girl, them never feared it. They understand them extra rated. That's how I said. Because of them, them girl, they faded. And they look like the whole of them girl, they outdated. Them, they girl, they no rated. So that is Faded on the Bada Bada Rhythm, just one of the many early classics from Sean Paul off his debut album, Stage One. What do you remember about the Sean Paul we're hearing on that track? Oh, man, just someone who was ready for the opportunity and uh, jumped at every hot rhythm I heard. <laughs> like, you know, I was I was voicing a lot back then. Uh, the first album we picked from 75 songs and it ended up being 25. Uh, second album, same thing. And pretty much 
Um, most of them I, I pick from a, a great amount of tunes like I, I keep doing. Um, and that work ethic was set from back then when someone told me, yo, you know, you're an artist. You may not be around in 20 years. And, uh, you know, producers last longer. And I was like, nah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just remember being in studio. And, and when I did uh, songs back then, I used to write them down in a book until a certain time where it was just like, you know, as, as most, uh, you know, dope artists nowadays do, it comes off of the flat. You know, uh, you go into the studio, you get an inspiration, you hear the vibe and you go do it. So I, I think I started to stop the book thing, like, and, and do the freestyle thing more um, with songs like this. Well, where, like, where you access that freestyle is interesting to me because one of the things I want to talk to you about is the surprising number of Canadian connections in Sean Paul's life. <laughs> um, and that includes this song. Looks like we made it. <laughs> Look how far we've come, my baby. We might have took a long way. We knew we'd get there someday. They'll never make it, but just look at us holding on. So that is still the one from Canada's own Shania Twain. What's the connection between that song and the song we heard, Faded? Oh, definitely. The melody was influenced by it, um, you know, for the hook. So, uh, yeah, uh, basically just survived, you know what I mean? <laughs> there was times I did that, especially on dub plates. Um, uh, I can remember Gwen Stefani's song uh, with Eve. Took a while to get me here, and I'm gonna take my time. So I used to go and do dub plates like that. This is one of the songs that uh, uh, definitely uh, you know went in that type of vein. Um, also, uh, Baby Girl was, was something was one of my first songs ever, and that was kind of a melody from. Uh, Nina, 99 Red Balloon. That, that, like, 99, like 99 Red Balloon. That one? Yeah. Baby girl, don't cry no more. And I sit, since met Nina, and she's like, I love it. <laughs> what was it yeah. about the Shania Twain song that, that inspired you to flip it? Melody. The melody. Creativity kind of sparks from, from whatever um, inspires you. And those melodies, melodies inspired me. Um you know, I'm a fan of the Beatles through my mom, Cat uh, Stevens, people with a lot of different type of melodies, Bob Marley. Um, so that gets me interested and gets me sparked up. You know what I mean? Another Canadian connection is that you were discovered and managed by Jeremy Harding, who was born in yeah. Jamaica, but moved to Canada for school, right? Yes, sir. Uh, Jeremy kind of, you know, I grew up knowing uh, Zachary and Jeremy, his brother, Um both of them, we would see them each other at, um, you know, social events, you know, and little parties and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, when I started to rhyme and, and do my thing at little barbecues and also uh, I, I, there was like a, a easy, like a, a mic, you know, a hold the mic thing at uh, a little restaurant that people used to go on Friday nights and drink up, like, just a, you know, a thing, like almost karaoke, but not really like people do their own songs as well um and so i was kind of the one that stood out there and i remember a friend of mine zachary just coming up to me and saying yo my brother has a studio just come back from canada 
the school in Trebas. So, um, yeah, that was the link with, with Jeremy. Uh, you know, we, we, we accomplished some great things and, and made history. Well, speaking of making history, I want to I want to move on to this song right here. So I was like, "Guy Joe, can I get into it? My crew down to do it. If she gonna pursue it, then before I even knew it, out she came with the tight gold clip and the dark brown frame." She said she need money, Gina. See me, I forget. The first time we met, me couldn't keep my eyes shut. She give me bling, bling. I bring me woolly pot. I said, "Set." But when me check it out, she had the edge That is Money Jane from Baby Blues Sound Crew featuring Cardinal Fischel, Julie Black, and my guest Sean. Paul, a bona fide Canadian classic hip hop record, one of your first crossover hits. Yeah, you were laughing when I played it for you just then. Like, what, what, what did you feel when you were listening to that? I've, I haven't heard that in forever, and I speak about it a lot because, yeah, it is my first uh, collab outside of anybody in, in dancehall music. You know, um, so it felt big. Shout out to Cardi for, uh, you know, the, the, for linking me up and, and noticing the. The talent there. I was a young artist at the time, and um, so this was before "Here Comes the Boom." This was before uh, anything with like a Beyonce or anything like that. Uh, you know, early, early, early years. How did it, how did it happen? Oh, yo, he just shouted, shouted us out. You know, Cardi really knows the dance art scene in and out, man. And um, he he sent, I think, emails to 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 Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Hardy, my manager at the time. So. Yeah, then after after I heard that, it was like, yo, how much you want for I was like two grand, bro. Let, let's do it. <laughs> and, and um, you know, for me it was more about uh, you know, me being uh uh what can I say, a, a lover of hip hop music when it was not as big or not as uh widely recognized in Jamaican circles at the time. And for for somebody to reach out to me, I was like, yeah, cuz I was doing these dub plates as I said flipping songs, as I said, um, just to try to get noticed to, to um, you know, whoever heard me flip a song like that or whoever heard me um, on a on a hip-hop type trap, like we used to do, uh, you know, in Jamaica, you know, the party, stuff like that. Uh, we, we'd flip it, you know, just so that people could hear me on that type of rhythm and go, oh, this dude sounds dope on it as well. So when Cardi hit me, I, I, it's the first collab, the first person outside of the genre uh, where I got to spit on a hip-hop rhythm. Uh, the, the concept was dope. Loved it. Um, you know, Money Jane, like, yo, she's she's your favorite girl, but she keeps she keeps leaving. Um, yeah, and, and I was like, when you check it out, she had an angel of death. Wow, I haven't heard those, heard those lyrics in a minute. Crazy. Well, I mean, Money Jane becomes a big club hit for Cardi, for Julie, for Baby Blue, for you. And there's a story yeah. Cardi's told over the years about an early missed opportunity. Just take a listen to this. Jay Boberg was the president of MCA when we went and sat down in those early meetings. And he wasn't feeling Sean Paul. And we had the video. Everything was done. They didn't even have to spend no money. We're like, yo, release it. Nah. He had the opportunity to sign Sean Paul and passed. And the year after that is when he bust crazy and went multi-platinum. Have you heard that story before? Yes. Like, like it, there was a lot of people bidding at the time. And, um, you know, some people was just like, oh, it's just a, it's, it's a small reggae cat. We, we could throw anything at it. And uh, not many people realized how much people was actually bidding for me. Um, and, and some people just didn't just like, like, like this example here, just didn't feel like 
it was anything big. It wouldn't break big. Um, you know, dancehall music was at that time the most international underground music. You know, I mean, you would hear it in clubs, you would hear it in cars, but never on the radio station. You wouldn't see it on TV stations. Um, you, you would, you know, people would know certain songs all over the place, all over the world. So um, I guess at the time, execs like him was just like, you know, not not really feeling the strength of, of what it is. And and if you recognize, I mean, it, dancehall music is a little different from, and it's now blended a lot with reggae uh, back again. So it's like full circle. But at that time, dancehall music was kind of, a lot removed from reggae and Bob Marley and, and people like that third world or, or black Uhuru was just like the epitome of what reggae was. And it sounded different. So a lot of the elder generation was like, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. What was that hard for you to get turned down? Like to get turned down by labels when you, when you were packing clubs, when you were like, you knew you had something. No, you know, uh, f- from the beginning has always been like, you know, if, if I do this for me, you know what I mean? Uh, my mom's an artist. She told me from the beginning, like she paints, she does watercolor, and she's like, you know, you you pour your heart and your soul into your piece, and then people come and criticize it, and they can't draw, or they can't paint, and same thing, you know, w- w- with your music. Like she's like, be ready for that. Have thick skin. So when it comes down to execs, I mean, I was like, I'm doing this for me. I like how it sounds. I've put it out. Whoever listens it, I appreciate them, and from. The beginning, I guess, the, the early fans, I, I just appreciate everyone in, in that small circle because it didn't, you know, it it uh, it didn't blow worldwide at first. I, I had singles coming out from 1996, as you know, and uh, I blew worldwide about 2001, really. Well, let's let's listen to one of the early big songs. Take a listen to this. Just give me the light. Just give me the light. Just give me the light. Just give me the light and pass the joe. Oh, another buckle of more. Yeah, let me know my sides and I got to know which one is gonna catch my flow. Cause I'm in on the vibes and I got my dough. Another buckle of more. Yeah, I'm looking up and I got to know. Could I be your protector? Your that is Gimme the Light on the Buzz Rhythm, the first of a slew of mega hits from my guest Sean Paul. He's here to talk a little bit about his career, a little bit about his new record. Talk to me about how that song came to be. Um, you know, back in those days, as I said, I'm hustling. Um, I'm finally getting my opportunity to be heard. Um you know, my, my first demos were more conscious music, uh, introspective songs, things to think about. A lot of people advised me, like, yo, bro, you know, there's other people already doing that. that I mean, you know, from Ziggy Marley to Buja Bantan to, to Tony Rebel, all these cats are doing it way more authentic than you. They've felt the struggle, and nobody don't believe when you say that. You want to sing about what you Like, you're the dude who goes into the party and, like, you know, t- takes a boy, girl away. <laughs> I'm like, yo, what? And they're like, yeah, man, this, that's your type of, like, people want to hear you like that. So I started to just freestyle about, you know, what I, what we were doing in the club last week. So there was a a producer, he, he was like, um, I was like, I, I, I charge $1,000 to come and voice. Um, $1,000 to what? To come and voice the song. Yeah. We work out uh, paperwork of, like, you know, uh, splits and royalties and points after the fact. Yeah. Um, in the dancehall world. So it's like, if you want me, my name is being called right now. I'm on a lot of stage shows. 
if you want me to take my time and come do that, come, you know, pay me a thousand US dollars. So uh, that's like the, the advanced thing. So um, not much in, in terms of what business or music business was doing back then. But for me, I started off, that was that was big bucks, you know. Uh, so the, the guy says, I got eight hundred dollars. And I was like, nah, man, that's, that's not enough for me. So um, I went about my business, writing songs for other producers, trying to do you know that hustle there. And then I, I, I ran into, I think something happened to my car or something like that that week. And I ran into a little, you know, a little hitch. And I was called by the dude. I was like, yo, you still got that eight bills? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm coming for it. So I went down there. I'm like, what am I going to sing on this rhythm? Um, all right, New York. I was in New York last week. People were busting bottles of mo. Yo, Mr. Paul, what's up? I like your song, Deport Them. Here, this is a bottle for you and the, the young lady. Uh, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yo. You know, I'm smoking. I'm, I'm like, all right, let me talk about that. Just give me the light. That was it, man. And um, the melody, I kind of got driving down in, to, to the studio in the traffic. Um, and then just the words started to come while thinking about what was going on in the club the week before. And when it started to take off, it was Trinidad. I went to a show there and they were like, yo, you had to sing that song, boy. And I was like, what? Give me the light. Y'all know? They're like, yeah. I was like, whoa. Because in Jamaica, there were other songs on that rhythm that were playing more. And, and I don't think, I didn't think nobody knew that one. So I went to New York and the same thing happened. And it started to blow bigger and bigger in, in a lot more territories, Miami. And then, you know, took over. Yeah, as, as, as you said, one of my hugest songs to this day. I mean, and another Canadian connection, a big part of the success of Give Me the Light was the music video by Toronto's own Director X. Yeah. Another big Canadian tie to the story. What was your reaction to Director X's vision for that for that music video? It's funny because uh when when we um when we first started to to conceptualize anything for the video or get treatments then there was people that were you know wanting me to be in the bushes uh with coconut trees and Rastafarians and you know chilling pipes and i'm like that's all cool but i i mean the song is about weed but it, it to, to me it's more of a party song and i kind of want to reflect that um so when x came he's like don't worry i'm gonna make this about jamaican dance and he's from trinidad oriented uh you know his, his parents his mom i think and um you know he knows that whole thing so he was like yo bro i'm gonna represent that don't worry so we got to the set and then we see things like this, like neon light. We're like, yo, what is going on? I didn't really have a concept of, of what it was. And he's like, yo, you're in a space by yourself. We're just going to showcase the, the, and there's a lot of Caribbean and that, and, and, and um, you know, Jamaican dance art enthusiasts in Toronto, especially at that time, uh, big up to Dainty Crime crew. The, the, that was the dance crew that they got there. And Tanisha Scott, uh, she's from Canada as well and uh, Jamaican born, but but these people just kind of like brought the roots of Jamaica to there and X knew this whole vibe. So he brought us all together, which was awesome. Uh, a lot of people think I'm from Canada, Toronto, because I do have family there. Um, my grandparents uh, moved there in 76, my mom's father. And, um, you know, we have aunts and uncles and cousins there. Uh, and so, yeah, I was familiar as a kid going there once or twice for summers, uh, but never really had connections as in outside that family scenario. I didn't have friends. I didn't go to school there. 
So X kind of brought me together with a lot of different people who um, were just in the music game or entertainment industry. And when you play the song, I, I, I smile because I, I immediately started to remember the video and X and, and, and what he did as to bring me together with, with, with uh, a Jamaican um, authentic dancer vibe in Toronto. It was wicked. Yeah, I thought you were a Canadian. Like I remember when you yeah. know, I remember when Get Busy blew up, and I was like, the guy from Baby Blue, like the guy, he's doing so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let, let me reintroduce you here. My guest is Sean Paul. Sean, uh, you'd follow "Give Me the Light" with some of your biggest songs to date. Get Busy, as I mentioned, like Glue, Baby Boy with Beyonce. This year is the 20th anniversary of that Grammy-winning album Duddy Rock that gave us all those mega hits. Can we just talk about Get Busy for a second? That song becomes so massive. I actually heard it on the radio on the way home yesterday. What was the what was the moment you knew that song was blowing up? Hmm. Um I remember I remember hearing uh the rhythm. Like so I was touring so much at the time that uh, I would miss the first voicing of the rhythm. So like for two weeks, I'm driving around. I'm like, yo, which, whose rhythm is this? This is the Diwali rhythm, right? Yeah, Diwali. So so people's like, it's lengthy. And I'm like, oh man. And I know his artist slash engineer very well, Zoomjay. Zoomjay was like, yeah, come to the studio. It's on so-and-so terrace. And I, uh, he had moved uh, his own little studio. And, you know, it was like home base. So I went there and um, I just remember my voice was raspy at the time. And they were like, yo, clear your voice. I kept saying, you're smoking too much, bro. <laughs> um, and Get Busy for me was like, when I heard uh, the beat, I was like, yo, this is party to me. This is like, I want to tell people to get busy and or percolate or whatever they want. Just turn up, like do whatever you want to do. Feel the electricity of the rhythm, feel my vibe. Um, so for me, uh, it, it it and give me light is like the ultimate party vibes on that album. Um, classic, something for me that I I either open or close my shows with. I mean, that, they got bigger than any song in the world. Yeah, get busy, get busy. Went to number one, and that rhythm had like so much different party vibes from people like Bon Tequila and Wayne Marshall and uh, you know local great artists. Um, you know, I just happened to blow up internationally with it. I was in the right space at the right time. But the whole rhythm itself was was culturally uh, a great thing. One, one, one thing I just wanted to say about it, like with the Poor Dam or like Glue, it took two years for those songs to, to break in the United States and become played on the radio over there or in, 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 in Canada as well. Like break out of the dancehall circles or the Jamaican circles. But when Diwali hit, I had the opportunity. It was hitting in Jamaica, as I said, two weeks. I'm like, yo, which hit rhythm is this? And and I'm 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 the one putting on, you know, Gimme the Light was 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 a huge hit at the time. And I'm like, yo, let me go to the studio, let me hit this. If this becomes played on the BTs, MTVs in the States or in you know Europe or or Canada, um, this is gonna be the first time I can remember something that's actually culturally really hitting in Jamaica and, and, and hitting abroad. And it did happen. Uh, that was an amazing feeling to, to feel like 
I had now, instead of this two-year period of, uh, of international circles waking up and going, oh, this is a nice song, let me play it. It was now like, yo, this is the fire, play. And they were like, yeah, dope. So I felt like the man, bro. I really felt awesome. You know what I mean? Just give me the light and start the show. Also another buckle of more. Yeah, let me know my sides and I got to know which one is gonna catch my flow. Cause I'm in the vibes and I got my dough. Also another buckle of more. Yeah, I'm looking hype and I got to know. Could I be your protector? You're both in every sector. Every man around them wants on your inspector. But you know, let them threaten. I grill you with no lecture. But them poor drill, not them two will inject. I had them a infector. Disease collector. Now for them, I go on like them walk up. Wreck ya. Don't know the part where you got in your center But you know you're not let them guide that affect you yo, Just give me the light and start the show You're listening to Give Me the Light And you just heard part one of Tom Powers' conversation with Sean Paul When we come back, Sean talks about Scorcha That's his latest full-length release He'll tell you what it means to have no fear in your approach to music, and I think kind of sounds like life based on what you're going to hear. Plus, Shane Cunningham grew up on a steady diet of Conan and Kids in the Hall. He'll tell you about making the sketch show of his dreams. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. Q is back in a bit. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You are in the middle of Tom Power's chat with multi-platinum musician Sean Paul. They've been talking about how he took his career from Jamaica to Toronto to the whole world over the past two decades. Sean Paul's latest full-length album is called Scorcha, and it features songs like this. My guest, Sean Paul, new music from him. It's called Dynamite from his latest album entitled Scorcha. A reunion of sorts with Sia, the singer Sia. Yeah. What, what can you tell me about that song? Uh, just that, you know, the first song we did was a remix. She reached out to my management. Management said, would you consider doing a song with Sia? I'm like, hell yeah. My niece, this was, I was six at the time, was a fan. My mom was a, a mature lady, you know what I mean? <laughs> Loves it. I like everybody's like, yo, this woman is awesome, her voice. So I, I jumped at the opportunity to do that. That was her first number one, surprisingly enough to me. And she sent me flowers, you know what I mean? Uh, and when I got the flowers, we, we had a call. I was like, yo, you know, I, I would really love to do something else with you. And she said, because she said it was her first number one, I couldn't believe it. I thought Chandelier was a number one song. I thought, 
Diamonds was a song that she had written for Rihanna and was number like I couldn't believe it was her first number one. And she was like, yeah, we should. And, uh, you know, it took some time to find this banger, uh, the, the next installment, uh, Dynamite. For me, uh, uh, there was many people involved in bringing it to me. Um, and and I, I thought, OK, this is the right idea, the right rhythm. Um, let me get Banks and Ranks involved. And so uh, Banks and Ranks is a group, you know, as you know, from Montreal. And I, 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 I suppose you're going to uh, get the Canadian connection there. But, yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they, they, they. Uh, you know, I, I worked with them in writing camps, and they're from Montreal. You know, based in Montreal, but they they have roots in Guadeloupe, and, and you know, they tell me every summer they went to Guadeloupe to, for you know visit family. Um, they would hear dancehall music in its heyday, like late night, er, mid nineties, late nineties, and then early two thousands, and um, they just have that vibe. You know, they have the, the they have the the swing of it. So I brought a lot of projects to them in the last, I would say, five years. Um, I just believe in that vibe because they they uh, they have a, a tendency to give me that authentic dance or backbeat, but also take it to, to a place where um, I don't hear much dance or producers doing. And so it, they've been a go-to to me for the past couple of years now. Well, I mean, it's been amazing to, to talk to you about the Canadian connections throughout your career, just about your amazing career. We're actually going to close off with um, you, you and Damian Marley doing No Fear. So I wanted to ask, you know, as someone who's taken on a lot of risks, who's, who's, who's done things with this music and that a lot of people haven't done, what does that mean to you, No Fear? Yeah, I mean, believing in yourself, ultimately. I mean, you, you know, a lot of times... Uh, you know, we doubt and, and you have to kind of be positive in the song, uh, not to, to cut away from this one, but uh, there's a song on the album called Good Day. It's about mental health. It's about trying to remain positive, even though there are dark times. Um, so, yeah, uh, this song, No Fear, is about facing life's adversity, uh, you know, w- with no fear. Like, just, just knowing that you're dealt certain cards, you have to um, play that out in life. You, you, you should try to play it as smartly as possible. Um, and and if you doubt yourself, uh, you, you've kind of lost. You know what I mean? So so for me, being strong and firm in that respect, um, where, wherever your learning curve is at at that point, is still a good thing. You know what I mean? You could learn different and change your opinion later, but to stand your ground and and to uh, to believe in yourself at that point uh, from what you know is, is is an important thing for every human being. Jean-Paul, lovely to meet you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bang, 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 bang. All who know why hear me talk, you stop me career. Fight, see me do well here. So you can't try kill a man, you can't kill him, my dear. So says the great take of fear. In a my town where me grow, you can't have no fear. Coward no live round here. Office and firm, fit survive and defend your share. The burden, the brave must bear. So me go so things and times will tell. So you got to learn your lessons well. Some are living a mansion, them are get pension while some living in hell.
We don't got no That's No Fear from Sean Paul featuring Damien Marley. Sean Paul's latest album is called Scorcha. It's out now. If you are in Toronto on August 3rd and you feel like you really need to dance, you can catch Sean Paul at the Afro Wave TO Festival where he will be headlining. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. Have a listen to this. Are you getting the nostalgia tingles from that? That is the theme song to the kids in the hall. My name's Talia Schlanger. I'm sitting in for Tom Power. If you are not familiar with what you're hearing here on Q, this was a beloved Canadian sketch comedy show, total cult classic, and it really helped shape a generation of sketch comics. Now, one of the kids, Bruce McCullough, has set his eyes upon the next wave of Canadian talent. He's the executive producer behind a new sketch show called The Dessert. It's the brainchild of Shane Cunningham, a Canadian performer and filmmaker from Hamilton. The dessert has been a long time coming for Shane, and now the entire series is streaming on Crave. Shane joined Tom Power in studio to give us what we're going to call a sketch setup. And uh, some of the language, some of the words he used got a little blue. Okay, that's your heads up. Here's their conversation. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you for having me. Congrats on this thing. Thank you so much. To tell me how, um, I'm, I'm curious about this thing. How did, because I think the first time you told me about this sketch show, mm-hmm. Bruce wasn't involved at that point. So tell me how Bruce came, came along. Well, we went about this in a somewhat unconventional way um, because we shot a pilot for it. And I think a lot of people, when they pitch a show to networks, they maybe present scripts or a show Bible. But I wasn't feeling that the material would translate off and jump off the page. And I find tone to be so important. Anytime you're doing comedy. So we decided we're going to shoot a pilot. We're going to fund it ourselves was the initial plan. And then we're going to send it to people and see what they think. And luckily, we were able to send the pilot to Bruce. Mm-hmm. And he was interested. So, uh, yeah, we, we couldn't believe it. And he's like, if you can get someone to greenlight this, I will be involved. What, what, what did that mean to you? The world. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, uh, I grew up... I'm, I'm a little bit older. I'll, I'll admit I'm 40 years old. Are you? Yeah. I just turned... Uh, edit that out. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think I was in seventh grade when I d- discovered Kids in the Hall. And it was the first show I'd ever seen that if I didn't find it funny, I felt like I was wrong. Like, the show was so cool that it made me feel like if I wasn't laughing, I was wrong. And even if I wasn't laughing, I still enjoyed it. So it, I used to think comedy had to be silly or ridiculous or you had to be laughing. And then it, it reframed the way I looked at it. And then, you know, like Rushmore is also my, my favorite movie. And that, that would be considered a comedy. But I'm not laughing a mile a minute at that. And I found kids in the hall really shaped the way I looked at comedy. So to have Bruce involved um, was unbelievable. And whether he even slapped his name on the top of it, his influence is all over our show, as you can even see by the opening credits or even having a super cool theme song that we're lucky enough to have created by Max Kerman. That's all because of uh, Kids in the Hall. Um, we asked you for another one of your uh, major inspirations um, mm-hmm. and sort of the, the piece of comedy that you might have seen when you were a kid that sort of changed your life. And, th- and I love that you said this. Take a listen to this. Thank you very much. And welcome back to Who Wants to Marry the Masturbating Bear? <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, folks, we started with 50 women, and we're already down to our three finalists. And here they are. They've each put on designer wedding gowns because in just a few moments, one of these lucky women will be chosen by our bachelor, the masturbating bear. That is, I mean, you want to say what yeah. it is? <laughs> That's Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien, yeah. late night with Conan O'Brien. Big, big for you. Huge. I would stay up every night watching Conan. I would drink, you know, three to six Coca-Colas every night. I would watch all the late night shows, but the thing I would look forward to the most was Conan and just how irreverent he was. And it made me feel really good, the fact that he was a Harvard grad, too. And he could, you know, he could do anything he wanted in the world, but he chose to have a masturbating bear come out <laughs> and be hit with, like, a stun gun to subdue him to stop him from masturbating. And I think... Because he had that prestige of being a Harvard grad, it just made that so much funnier. Like if it, that was on uh, Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. used to have a show called The Man Show. Yeah. Something like that was on The Man Show. I don't know if I would find it as funny as if Conan was doing it. Does that make sense at all? You, you knew how smart he could be. Yeah. So when he was silly, you, yes. you knew the intentionality behind it. It was so funny. Yes. So you would stay up to like 1230 – I think it was on at one thirty when I watched it. One thirty. Yeah, yeah. Because in in Newfoundland we were in not to not to fight you on this, but we were an hour and a half ahead of you guys. You grew up in Ontario. Oh, okay. Yep. Hamilton. So, to Hamilton. So yeah. So uh, I would have to stay up to like three in the morning. Wow. Or two in the morning. Two or three in the morning. Would you watch it every night? I would try to. I would try to if my parents yeah. would let me get away with it. I think it was two. I think it was two because I think it came on twelve thirty and it came on at, at two. But it was it was it was mm -hmm. life changing for a lot of people of our generation. No, absolutely. And I felt like I was the only person watching and I felt like the show was made yeah. just for me. Yeah. And like I was in this little club because everyone else I asked, they weren't really watching Conan. And then, of course, uh, once the Internet uh, became popular, it seemed like everyone I, I loved and respected was watching Conan. No, I, I know you through the podcast you do with with uh, Max Kerman and um, and and Mike. What's Mike's last name again? Veerman. Mike Veerman, um, the 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 best hang. Yes, formerly Mike Unmatched, now the best hang. The best hang, and I and I've met you socially over the years. I didn't know uh, that you you were sketch comedy was a thing that you were interested in. So like mm -hmm. when you were doing when you were watching Conan, was you were thinking, okay, I want to do that one of these days. I want to be involved in that kind of comedy. A hundred percent. That was the only thing I ever wanted to do with sketch comedy, I thought the sketch comedy I, I wanted to do, I, I thought I'd have to make it in the States because I felt like, like something like, for instance, um, Lonely Island doing something like Jizz in My Pants. Yeah. That felt like something that couldn't be done in Canada. I, f I thought you'd have to be like a little bit quirkier, not as brash, maybe political to make it in Canada. And, yeah. and that just wasn't my style. So I was working towards making it in the States when I was young. So I would make uh, short films. Like I made a short film called Teen Wolf 3. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a Michael J. Fox uh, tattoo. Oh, wow, look at that. That's Michael Teen J. Fox as, 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 as Teen Wolf. As yeah. Teen Wolf. So you made like a third version of Teen Wolf. Yeah, the unofficial third version. <laughs> I added an extra F to Wolf to avoid uh, getting sued. Right, good idea. Yeah. Good. And, uh, but yes, to answer the question, that was always my goal. I just didn't know how it was going to be possible. So what opened up for you that you realized you could make the dessert, you could make the kind of the sketch comedy show you've always had in mind since you were watching Conan? Streaming platforms. Uh, so when Crave came to Canada, I was like, okay, you can kind of do anything because it's on the internet, but it kind of feels like TV. I think You Should Leave came out and 
that humor was so brash and in your face. And uh, I, I thought that was just my own embarrassing sense of humor that I had, but it seemed like other people enjoyed that. So I was like, maybe there is an audience for this type of bold humor, and maybe we can get away with doing it in Canada. That's why I had to shoot the pilot and not submit the scripts. Right, yeah. right. You had to show proof of concept. Like, this is the thing that... Yes, because I knew thing. everyone would say no if I showed them a script. Right. And, like, there's one sketch where there's, you know, feces on someone's hand and they refuse to wash their hands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily scream green light to an executive. Yeah. You have to show how we're doing it. I love that you went full CBC and by saying feces, by the way. Yeah, well, <laughs> you looked at me when I said jizz in my pants, so I was like, don't say that those words anymore. <laughs> no, we say that every day. Okay. Um, are you, uh, uh, so I, I think I understand this better now. You were home, uh, uh, you, you told me that when you watched Kids in the Hall, you were like, okay, this is, this is something that's for me because um, even if I don't laugh at it, I, I probably should be laughing at it. You told me when you were watching Conan, um, you, you thought, oh, okay, this, this is an audience only for me. I am the only person who's mm -hmm. gonna be able to make that. And then the stuff that was being made in Canada, you were kind of like this. Again, I feel sort of solitary in my comedy tastes here in Canada. Yes. And then uh, I think Shalib comes out, it's closer to your style. Yeah. And you think to yourself, oh my God, there is an audience for this in Canada. And now with the internet, I don't have to like put this on at eight o'clock after Heartland. And, yes. and and see what's gonna and see what's gonna happen. Exactly. Yeah. And also a huge credit to Max Kerman. After Bo Burnham's special came out uh, during the pandemic, there's an amazing special that you probably know of called uh, In Inside. Yes, mm -hmm. by Bo Burnham. And Max calls me and he tells me this like beautiful lie. This is Max from Arkells. Max from Arkells. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he goes, "You can do better than that." Which is the biggest lie in the world, but it's like, I can, I can do better than that. And I just had this delusional belief that maybe I can. And that's a, a big part of making anything. You have to have a delusional side to you. Mm -hmm. You just can't be delusional to a fault. No, you have to ride that. I believe you're, you're talking to someone who has to do it every yeah. day, has to ride the uh, self-doubt unnecessary self-belief line. Yes. <laughs> all the, all the <laughs> time. You're going to exactly. set up a sketch from the show. So this is called uh, Soft Spot. We're going to play mm -hmm. about, a, about a minute of it. Tell us, tell us what we're about to hear. Set up the sketch it's first. It's kind of a simple concept, but basically um, there's a female character named Isabella Campbell, and her head hurts in this sketch. And the reason it hurts is because her soft spot from when she was a baby has come back, and it's created a dent in her head. So to help her out, uh, Jillian Smart, who's one of the uh, stars of the show also, and myself, we have to pop the dent out of her head. All right, let's take a listen. <laughs> Ella, what's wrong? It's my head. I think my soft spot's coming back. What? Jesus! <laughs> Don't you see a doctor or something? <sighs> oh. What are you doing? I gotta pop a dent out, like my dad used to say. Was he Italian? No, close. <laughs> Jamaican. Gotcha. Wait, wait, I got an idea. Hey, can you, like... Squeeze my head really hard like you're popping a pimple yes, and pop it back out. I just feel like it's sinking into my brain more okay, now. It's not. You're fine. <sighs> um, like this? No, you're pushing. You need to squeeze. Squeeze I'm harder. I'm Shane, can you come give it a squeeze? Get out of here. Give me that. Oh, yeah, that's a good squeeze. That's a good squeeze. <laughs> oh, it feels good for me, too. Pop it a dent out. What are you doing? Oh, you're taking me to squeeze town. Oh. 
That's a little bit of the dessert. Shane Cunningham is is my guest. Uh, that's the sketch, uh, soft spot. So let's 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 bring this back to the beginning. Do you when you listen to that back now? Do you hear Do you hear Conan? Do you hear the kids in the hall? Do you hear all those influences in in the sketch? Yeah, because it's silly, it's shocking, but it's also you know who's it hurting really? <laughs> yeah, it's and it's, it's and a... yeah, that's that's what I loved about Conan. It was so. Um, the, the masturbating bear is not hurting anyone. It's just we're having a good laugh at at whose expense. No one really. Well, it's um, I'm I'm excited that people get to see the show. It's been really interesting to see the the sort of evolution of the show mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on talking to me. Best of luck with it. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, speaking with Shane Cunningham, the creator star of the brand new Crave comedy show, The Dessert. All six episodes available to stream right now on Crave. That's it for Q today. Coming up tomorrow on the show, the dance party after the protest. That's how Kathleen Hanna once described her band, Le Tigre. They were so influential when they came out on the scene in the uh, the late 90s, early aughts. And they used electronic music with these really political lyrics to energize people, to make big feminist statements. And we talk about dance as a form of resistance. That's coming up tomorrow. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.